You know, uh, today we're going to embark on this new series called Still Celebrating. Uh, and if there's one thing that we want to convey in this series is that, you know, 2,000 years after Jesus has gone by, you know, Christmas is still worth celebrating. And as we embark on this series, right, I think sometimes, right, we get stale and we find that, you know, we've lost that spark in terms of that uh, Jesus and understanding what Jesus does in our life. And today, I want to explore that particular idea and I want to elaborate on this simple idea of God with us. Okay, so I want to intro by talking about this. A simple and radical idea. All of us have encountered a simple and radical idea to a certain extent in our lives. So let me share. This is hot pot. Okay, you know, it's a very famous Chinese thing. And you know that day, first time ever, I tried Hai Ti Lao. Okay, and you know, it, it was great. You know, all the sauce, and I went with my life group actually. But that was not the life-changing experience. The life-changing experience for me happened one year ago when my dad came back from China and told me this undiscoverable truth and this truth that blew my mind. Joel, in China, they do hot pot with coconut water. And I tell you, when I heard that, it's like, wow, that's insane. It's like doing hot pot with Ribena, and I could not believe it. And so what happened was, uh, my mom decided to give it a try. So they got coconut water, and we did that for hot pot. And I tell you, in that particular moment, Simple but radical idea that changed my life. Every year during Christmas or dinner, instead of doing a high dinner hot pot, we will all get the coconut water and we would prefer that to the highest degree. So a simple idea that changes one life radically, changes the outlook, it changes how you approach it. Here's another one. When I was in US, right, I bought a meat thermometer, okay? Now, all my life, right, when I was eating chicken that my mom cooked for me, I always thought it tasted like chicken lah, and it's very hard. So, what happened was, I bought a meat thermometer and I used it to measure the temperature of the chicken. So, I would go to the oven, I measure it at 160 Fahrenheit. And so, what happens is uh, very precise, I would take it out of the oven, okay? The first time I did it and I cooked it with chicken breast, I kid you not, the chicken, it did not taste like chicken. It tasted like heaven. And I tell you, I cannot untaste it. So, I went back home. Uh, to, to my house, and every time my mom cooked chicken for me, because she doesn't use meat thermometer, I tell my mom, that's overcooked. Mom, that's overcooked. And she cannot understand. So I bought a meat thermometer one day, and I take it and put it in the chicken, and 160 Fahrenheit, I take it out and let my mom try. And then now my mom understands. This is chicken. <laughs> Simple idea and radical idea. And you know, this idea, there's a simple and radical idea in Christianity, and I want to explore that thought with you guys today. We find a particular passage in Matthew 1, 20 to 23, and it goes like this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in dreams, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived is her, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall come, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him, his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And today, I want to explore this particular thought with you, which is Emmanuel. God is with us. And this idea of God being with us is actually a very simple idea. But it is one of the most radical ideas ever invented or ever came up with. And the issue is, we today obviously have hindsight. 
we obviously know about Jesus and all that. And what happens is we actually uh, don't realize that to the people back then, that this was a crazy idea. And it's actually far beyond from everything we begin. And today my goal is this. I want to help us to see if we divorce ourselves from the modern sensibilities and the modernization that we have received in terms of our education, what happens is you find that this simple idea is extremely radical, that God is with us. And today, it's going to be a simple three-point message, which is God with us. Ah, okay. And so today, I'm going to hope to explore this particular thought of you. I'm going to start with the idea of God. Many religions and ancient religions in last time have a form of idea of God. So for example, here we have a famous one. We got the Greek Roman pantheon. So that, that is Zeus, the god of thunder. We all know them, very popular. The other one on the right, that's a Taoist deity founded in the 16th century in terms of a statue. It's currently held in the Great British Museum. And the idea of God is very universal, or deities if I put it, uh, put it more bluntly. In fact, it's almost universally found in all ancient cultures. So here we got the Babylonian gods. Here you got Madok. Madok was what uh, King Nebuchadnezzar would worship back then. And on the right, uh, you have the Aztecan god. And the Aztecan god had a very complex name. And his name was Huitz-O-I-Lo-Poshli. Okay, yeah, I just butchered that like crazy. Nonetheless, universally, everywhere you would go, there was always an idea of God. And in fact, you find very hard or very unlikely to find quote-unquote an ancient uh, atheist in terms of religion. And so, if you look throughout all these gods, right, there's some few common characteristics. So, you know, their power, they're better than us, you know, they can do more things, you know. But one particular aspect is about their transcendence, if I put it bluntly. This idea of transcendence is that there is a distinction between us, humans, and them. And there's a separation. And as modern day people, we sort of lost the idea of what it means to be transcendent. Whereby we don't look at things with sacredness or in awe. So we don't have that now, and there's no real synonymous uh, relationship. The only thing that is possibly uh, synonymous in our modern-day context is the way we relate to our celebrities. We see our celebrities as a form of transcendence, that they are far apart from us, and we are here. And that is the, their last time, the ancient sort of their relationship with God, that there is apartness of the God and us. And what happens is, in all this apartness, right, in all of this, ancient religions, right? In order for them to get to God, they had to go through a sanctification process by which they can uh, present themselves before their own gods. And so, uh, not only in Israelites, but I'm going to give you another modern day, uh, ancient example in the Roman and Greek uh, world. So, so in, Rome, in the Roman uh, religion, right, what happens is they had to cleanse themselves in order for them to perform their ritual sacrifice. So I'm going to read and I'm going to quote Ancient Greece and Rome, an encyclopedia for students. Cleansing oneself with water to remove the dirt of daily life or specific impurities was almost always done. Purification was an important part of Greek and Roman religious practice. The aim of purification or cleansing was to rid the person or by community of pollution. Pollution could be caused by an act of impiety or failure to carry out a religious obligation uh, properly. One common Greek purification ritual involved associating the pollution with an object, such as an animal or human scapegoat, and then burning the animal or banishing the human beyond the walls of the city. So the idea was, if I get my pollution out on somebody, that person or the goat will go out and what happens is I will then be clean. And this is almost common throughout almost all uh, in terms of ancient religion. And that's no exception to the Israelites. The Israelites actually had quite extra in terms of what they had to do. And I want to remind you guys, right, that 
when it comes to God back then, right, you cannot just merely do business with God in the way that we do business with God in terms of having a relationship. Okay, so remember Moses. When Moses first encountered God in the burning bush, God told him, hey, Moses, this is sacred ground. I need you to take off your sandals. So what happens is Moses approach. And so what happens is you saw have that there's a distinction that this is a sacred space. Here you're entering to the realm of the transcendent. Okay, and now if you think about it, right, you realize, right, actually all of the Old Testament, right, was this really, there's this really, it's about the conflict of the Israelites were not perfect vehicles. And what happens is they cannot handle the God, presence of God. So for example, when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, God instructed Moses, you guys got to consecrate yourself. And if any of you touch the mountain, you will die. And it was very blunt. And that is the idea between how transcendent the God is and how far we are. And for you to bridge that, it, it's a lot to go. And so if you guys recall, Moses wanted to see God. And what happens was, Moses approached God asking him to see him, and then God was like, okay, you can see me, but because my true form will kill you, I only allow you to see the back of my face. And so what happens is Moses had to secretly see the back of God's face. And that one, I want to show that that illustrates the difference between God and man. And in fact, the Holy of Holies, the inner, cham the inner chamber of the temple, where that is where the Ark of Covenant lies. That's the holiest, holiest places. And what happens is, we know that the temple is used to contain the presence of God because if the, contain, if the presence of God, quote-unquote, gets out, right, all the Israelites will die because they are not uh, clean enough. And what happens is, for them to enter the Holy of Holies, only one person could do it, which is the high priest. And the high priest can only do it one day of the year, which is on the Day of Atonement. And for him to do so, he has to clean himself. He has to sprinkle the blood all around the temple. Then only he can enter to encounter the presence of God. We today, we just encountered the presence of God. What a radical difference. And so, when we understand about the difference between God and us, and how far we are, the idea of God as man is such an offensive idea, and it's such a crazy idea. In fact, that's why the Pharisees hated Jesus so much. To say that God as man, Jesus is the form of God, right? is so offensive to the entire historicity of the entire Old Testament. Are you telling me that Moses, who, you know, who's the, who's the probably the elite in terms of the Israelites, who only see the back of God. Suddenly, Peter, a fisherman, says, what up, Jesus? Crazy. And you know, it always boggles my mind, right, in terms of like the, the amount of difference. Like, I always joke with my teens, which is slightly, yeah, okay. So the joke goes like this. I imagine God, right, highest being, creator of the universe, heavens, dwell in the holiest of holiest places, with all his angels, came down as man, as Jesus. And I just think, wow, Jesus at one point had to go to the toilet. I'm just like, you know, he had to, you know, I don't know, he might, you know, suffering from excretion problems. You know how, how big of that difference? Jesus had pimples, the God most high in the world, came down in human flesh, had pimples, and it boggles my mind. And the idea that God became man, I think if we think about it, right, it shows the extent of how far God was willing to go to reach down, to be at our level. I think that's the first thing I want to leave you with, that God became man all in sake for the love of us. Second point I want to bring out, with. You know, most ancient religions also have some form in terms of God becoming man to a certain extent. So Israelites was not unique in this particular sense. Uh, there were others. There was Greek mythology and uh, Egyptian. And I want to talk a bit about a very strong contrast, which is the Egyptian world. Pharaoh. Pharaoh, at this point, right, was considered like, you, okay, we got to understand that the Egyptians were a very religious kind of people. 
They valued religion heavily. So Pharaoh was God, or specifically the god Horus, which is the god who saw Pharaoh. So his, the idea behind Pharaoh is like he's half god, half man. Very similar to Jesus, actually. But what happens is it's very different in the way it's executed. So Pharaoh served as the pinnacle. And what happens is uh, he had people to serve him. And so one of the most seven wonders of the world today, if you know, is the ancient pyramids. The ancient pyramids was built by Pharaoh uh, to serve himself. And the function of the pyramids, right, is just a ritual or tomb by which the, the, they will put Pharaoh in there, and what happens is he will have a safe afterlife passage to the one. Okay? Now, we think of the pyramids as the pyramids, but you got to understand the logistics behind it. It's kind of crazy. This is the pyramid of Giza. Uh, and so, what happens is recently they discovered they actually had a town nearby the Pyramid of Giza where they had workers there. And what happens is these workers, uh, they only had one goal, which is to build the pyramids. And they went there and they estimate approximately, right, that that place sits around, I think, 10,000 people. So if you want to do a logistic background in terms of how much effort will it take the pyramids, right, they estimate, right, that the pyramids in total is 2.6 million bricks. And for them to produce the kind of output, it would take approximately 4,000 laborers who cut stones only. So 4,000 people hired there. Now, you need to have the supporting people to support the entire ecosystem in terms of ensuring the logistics is, is settled, in terms of food and all that. So what happens is people have done the random numbers, they estimate 10,000 people approximately just to labor in terms of the pyramid. And then, that's not only that. People have to be fed, ma, okay? So in this particular camp, they estimate, right, that approximately for them to maintain this kind of workforce, they would need to have approximately 25,000 in terms of cattle and 50,000 sheep on a daily basis to make sure all these people are fed so they can build the pyramid, okay? So in all in all, it would take 18,000 people and an estimated 20 years for them to build this pyramid. And what's the goal of this pyramid? The goal of this pyramid is to help Pharaoh so that he can go to the afterlife well. And they really took it seriously. So last time, right, the pharaohs had this thing called uh, retainer burial. So let's say the pharaoh die. What happens is, in order to him to go to the afterlife safely, his life officials, the people that are still alive, will be buried alongside him. So that they will, he will die together, and then they can go to heaven together. And what happens is, you got, so right, you can see, right, the pharaoh, most powerful person, everybody is sort of dedicated to serving him and ensuring that he has a good life. And that was the entire point of the pyramids. It's a testament to the Pharaoh's power and what the Pharaoh wants. And I want to contrast, so we, we have the thought, we, we just think of the Pharaoh. 20 years, 20,000 people easily, 40,000 cattle, all meant to make sure that he is okay. People killed so that, you know, he could have a safety of life. And I want you to compare that with Jesus. Jesus, the first thing he did, the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. And I feel right, as you, you, you think of these two characters, you know, they are so alike in the sense that Pharaoh, half God, half man. Jesus also, God and man. And what did Jesus do? Jesus, he approaches John the Baptist, asking him to be baptized. And John's like, oh no, bro, I don't want to baptize you. I mean, you know, it's like God asking you to baptize him. Kind of crazy thought. And then Jesus tells him, I need you to do it because only all righteousness then can be fulfilled. Jesus, when he came down, right, he subjugated himself to the law in terms of the Mosaic Covenant, though he came to fulfill the law. Think about it, Jesus actually can come down and done a lot of stuff. You know, he can instruct the angels to come, you know, just bully the uh, Roman Empire, but he did not. And what happens is he came down, he subjugated himself to the law and experienced what it likes to be a man, and he came down to be with us. And you know, right, 
I just quote Jesus himself. The son of man, or the son of God, can't recall, came to serve and not to be served. And I want you to combat, just think about the difference between these two worlds, you know. Pharaoh, entirety of the Egyptian structure is just to make sure that he gets what he wants. And Jesus, who came down and healed the sick, feed the poor, and ultimately pay the price for us. Came down to serve. He came down to be with us. And in the being of, and when he was with us, he learned. He learned how to understand what we felt. He feel the temptation that we felt. I think that's a, such an incredible thought. And you know, Matthew 28, 20, final passage with Matthew. He puts it succinctly. So after he gave the great commission, he says, and behold, I am with you always. With you. And that's not applicable to the disciples. It's applicable to all of us. To the end of the age. Wow. And you know, the power of just being with. You know, you know, Jesus experienced what we experienced and he can really understand what we experienced. And you know, I want to illustrate with, and I've got this really cheesy example. When I was a kid last time, right, in Mid Valley, there's this thing called Mega Kids. I do not know if any of you guys know. So Mega Kids is basically this super epic playground. Lah, and as a kid, we go there and have fun, you know. So I once remember that I went with Eunice. Okay, so Eunice and Ernest, and we went there uh, together. And now you gotta understand, Eunice back then, not now. Eunice back then, Eunice, where are you? I hope you're not here. Okay, you're not here, thank you. Okay. Uh, Eunice, forgive me, Eunice, okay. Uh, Eunice was scared of heights. Okay, so in Mega Kids, right, there's this one particular highlight, or yeah, the highlight, which is basically this one tall tower, and there's a slide down. It's the tallest tower. And Eunice was extremely reluctant to go for it. So I tried to convince her, like, oh, Eunice, I'll, I'll buy you ice cream, you know, all that kind of shebang. And then she was not willing. Then I told her, Eunice, what happens if I go with you and I accompany you up there? And you know, reluctantly, she agreed. So I remembered. So you need to go cross by cross, you need to, it's not like a typical ladder, it's the way. So I would go up one level and I would tell her, Eunice, it's okay, you can come up. And what happens is she will come up, boom. And then I'll go another one and I'll wait for her and I'll ask her to come alongside me until she reached the highest point. To a certain extent, it was because she was with me and because I, you know, there's a power of with. There's, there's power of going through life with somebody. And because we were with together, Eunice managed to do it. She went to the top and then she came down. And you know, I want you to know after that, okay, so funny fact. After that, she kept on going without me, okay? Just so fun, Joel, okay? And you know, not only that, when Joash was really young, Joash was really scared of the dark. So what happens is, back then when I come back from Chinese school, I'm the older brother, ma, he would say, Coco, Joel, you want to come up? Because ah? he wants to go shower. Ma. So he don't get to go alone. And then what happens is, you know, I would say, okay, you know what, I'll let you. And what happens is I'll follow him upstairs. And then because he's with me, he's no longer scared of the dark. And you know, we can look at all these examples, sure, they're children, but even as adults, there's a power of going live with someone. I remember when I went to America, uh, crazy. And I appreciate Kingston, who was my, the person that I went with. And what happens is we encountered a lot of troubles. We almost got scammed. Yeah, there was a scam artist. He wanted us to bank into his account. Uh, we, we did not have a place to stay in the first one month. But what happens is because I was with him, I knew that as I faced those challenges, I am not alone. And you know, I think that's really similar to what God says of when he says he is with us. That as we go through life together, as we face what is to come, God is by our side and that we don't need to fear. He is the person that will accompany us through the, the tallest of towers. 
And He is the person that is going with us in the midst of the uncomfortability. He is alongside us and He's holding our hands as we walk. God is present. And lastly, I want to talk about us, our response. You know, we talk about God, we talk about with. All these things only can be experienced only if we respond to Him. The amount that God can move in our lives is in proportion to the amount we let Him move. I want to end with a particular story uh, in regards to my education journey. So if you guys did not know, yesterday, uh, I graduated alongside with Aisin. I was selected as the valedictorian. But actually, so obviously, I think, yeah, it's really a blessing and testimony from God. But today, I want to share behind the scenes in regards to how it was like for me uh, during the days where I really struggled with this. Because you got to understand, right, that this did not come out in a vacuum. It was 2015 when I first uh, graduated from doing A-levels. And during A-levels, I got 4 A-star. I was the highest in my batch. I was very happy, ecstatic to to a certain extent. And what happens is, I told God, you know, God, I wanted a full scholarship. And I was in deep faith to have a full scholarship. And I asked God for two specific stipulations. First was that God uh, was to give me full tuition fee. Okay? And second was that he would pay for my flight ticket to wherever that it be. Lah. Okay? And so what happens is, uh, I applied. So the first round. So 2015, 2016, I applied my first round. Now, because I think I got highest, right? I thought this was relatively easy for God to do. Ah, Joel, you know, I just, you know, just super speed you. Lah. Okay? But clearly what happens is that was not what has happened. So the first year I applied, and what happens is, uh, I didn't manage to get it at all. And what happens is I could not any, secure any scholarship. Now, this time still okay. I can still tahan because I'm only one year out. So, you know, I can tahan a bit. You know, maybe God wants me to wait and all that kind of shebang. So what happens is I then waited and then applied six months down the road. So now at this point, I'm one year and a half out of college already. Okay? Uh, and okay, you got to understand also one particular dynamic is this. I was so confident that God was going to move. Like really. In fact, right, back then, right, I was telling people that I'll be going to Australia to study. The university I wanted was Australian National University. And what happens is one year and a half passed, and also I did not get in again. And I tell you, it was devastating because now what happens is I told these people I was going to go to Australia, and I was so confident God was going to move. But nothing's happening. And during that one and a half years, right, it was tough for me, and it's tough in terms of my soul. And I'm going to read out a diary entry from 2017. And this was the rejection that saw or confirmed that I could never go to Australia to study, and it could not fulfill what I wanted. So, Diary, July 2017. I'm writing this at 10.47 a.m. I've been rejected by Macquarie. Theoretically speaking, it means that I'll be here for good unless some sort of miracle happens. Oh well, feelings are messy. They really are. I'm feeling unfortunate yet hopeful because I do something... Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, hopefully because I can do something big here. I'm feeling shaken but calm. What a journey it has been, potentially an emotional roller coaster ride. The low is the rejection, but the highs are the dreams and finding my comfort in my God. The worst is telling the people that I can't go to Australia and I'm staying here. That is brutal, extremely. Hope unrealized is the worst. Did I have faith that God could place me there? Definitely, and I still believe. I really am not sure why. But I do know this, that when it doubt, 
or when I see that it's not coming to pass, I look to Him and not myself. I look to the one above me and that comforts me. And you know, right, during that period, right, you know, my, my dad talks about how I go walk around a lot in the park. That's the moment when, because that's why I needed the most. I saw my dreams. I, I, I couldn't see a way out. In fact, I, I when by that point, right, I stopped believing that God had given, had given me full scholarship. I really stopped. I could not believe. And you, from my diary then onward, it was just, just life as life. Lah. And I, I, I thought I had to deal with the, just the pain and the rejection of just not seeing the dreams what I wanted. And all the faith that I trust in God, none of it is coming to pass. But it was there in the moment where I had to learn this. Where I had to learn, right, that is greater joy being found in Him and being with Him rather than the scholarship itself. And so I went and life went on. And what happens was, again, again, at this point, right, I, I really had no hopes. But I think the rest of the story flowed and God surprised me. Truly when I really even gave a not, you know, didn't even believe. And what happens is the story goes, Samway University, there was a spot, I applied. And what happens is uh, God granted to me and it's, super, it's a supernatural one because, right, by that, that point, right, the applications were closed already. So they were sort of making an exception for me. And I was so grateful. And then here's another thing. So what happens is, in when you get a scholarship of Samway University, right, there's a trip to Lancaster and the flight is free. So theoretically speaking, God actually answered to my stipulations. And what happens is, yesterday, I graduated in terms of getting the valedictorian. You know, it's great and all, but as I reflect on this journey, right, what I walk away with is that God is with me. And in the midst of the pain and suffering, right, I learned that. And you know what? If I had to choose whether that be my valedictorian title or perhaps knowing what it means to walk with God in the midst of the suffering, I would choose the latter. You know, I want to end with this particular quote, John Wesley. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church. Great guy. This was at the end of his life. And this was the last word he said. First, he said, the best of all is God with us. And then reaches out his hands out with his last dying grass. Last dying breath, he says, the best of all is God with us. And then he passed away. You know, church, I think there's a relatively simple thought today. Nothing radical. It's a simple idea that God is with us. And you know, that comforts us that true life, even perhaps we have undesires that does not make sense yet. And I still have that. Or perhaps we have questions unanswered. Or when we see not God moving, or when we see God not moving, and perhaps in the pain and in the suffering and, the, and just the fact that we are in a sinful world, we don't find comfort in what God is yet to do, but we find comfort that God is with us in the present right now. And as we walk through life, we go in confidence that He is by our side and is holding our hand. Through it all, He is with us. He is with you. He is with me. He is with all of us. Let's pray. Father Lord, I thank God for today. You know God, relatively simple idea that you came down in form of man in infinite wisdom and all of your power and you chose to experience what we experience. You chose to understand our pain and suffering and ultimately you went an extra mile that you went on the cross to take the pain and suffering that we could never have fathomed and imagined. And what happens is, you did it. And you understand us. 
And not only that, you are still with us today. Father, I pray in this season in all our lives, whether that be our pain, whether that be our suffering, I pray that we can see you in our lives. And perhaps there are unanswered answers, unanswered answers, but I pray, oh God, that even in those moments, you remind that your spirit is still with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.